Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. <laughs> Doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris, Chris Mattis. All right, welcome back to another episode of the SI Boxing Podcast. Glad you could join me this week, and uh, we're going to get back into the business of boxing. There's been some good fights over the last couple of weeks, some really good fights to come in April and May, but there's some significant sort of businessy stuff going on. I want to talk uh, about that and what it means for boxing moving forward and uh, no better guy to talk to about all that than Evan Rakowski the former HBO marketing executive he's got his own podcast as well does a lot of things in the world of boxing today Evan thanks for joining me once again for these types of discussions yeah and uh, well I I guess right off the bat Evan I want to talk about the announcement this week that DAZN is going global Uh, DAZN the streaming service which uh, for everybody out there that doesn't know this, I am part of the boxing broadcast team. We'll put that caveat into this conversation uh, with the zone. Uh, but they have decided that they are going to just go completely crazy when it comes to expanding into different markets. Currently, they are in nine markets. They made a lot of a big splash by jumping into the United States boxing market. They will be in 200 at some point in the very near future. May 2nd, uh, the date that Canelo Alvarez has penciled in. Uh, for his next fight, that is expected to be the launch point of this uh, expansion for DAZN. Uh, they're focusing almost entirely on boxing at this point when it comes to this expansion, which is good news for boxing fans if it means that they're going to be doubling down on their investment in the sport. But it, it certainly created a lot of conversation, Evan, in the boxing community about what this means for boxing, what it means for boxing in the U.S. Uh, I, I guess give me your first reaction to uh, DAZN's announcement and, and what it means for the sport. Well, I think I think for you know, first reaction is this is a really big swing by DAZN, and you you have to admire uh, the the risks that they're taking here. But if you've been paying attention the whole time, you could kind of see that they were building to this. I mean, they you know I've been talking about them having Canelo's worldwide rights since they initially signed that deal with Canelo and. There's really only one logical conclusion to having that because, you know, his U.S. rights are obviously the most lucrative rights that are out there. 
But there's plenty of other markets around the world where having Canelo or Anthony Joshua, who I, I don't think they have Anthony Joshua's worldwide rights as of right now, but obviously they're they're going, you know, they're planning on pursuing that. Uh, this is what they're building towards, though. I mean, they're taking a big bet uh, on boxing. They're doubling down. I mean, they might even be tripling or quadrupling down, uh, you know, to, to your point up there, uh, up top. And it's, you know, I think like, the first reaction is just take a step back and see what a big swing this is. Like this is really betting on the worldwide market. And what we've known in boxing historically is boxing does travel well. It's a popular sport, but there's really been a lack of infrastructure uh, other than a top few markets to really monetize the sport. And they're taking a big swing. And obviously what they're betting on is that initially whatever – extra cash flow they would get by selling off Canelo's rights or whoever's rights uh, in certain markets that they're going to make up for by adding subscribers in those markets. And, and you know, that's a big risk, but there's huge potential rewards for it. I mean, obviously, their worldwide subscriber base is what's most important to them right now. And, you know, ultimately, it's going to be great for the sport of boxing. Boxing's really going to benefit so- from this. So, yeah, I mean, let, let's talk about how boxing benefits from that. It, I guess in the context, too, of what it means for big-time boxing in the U.S. I mean, right in the press release that DAZN put out there, it did say that they look forward to putting on international events. And I think a lot of people, you know, myself included, looked at that and wondered, uh, would this mean fewer events that took place in the United States? Now, we've already seen them kind of trend in this direction. You had uh, the big fight between Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz take place in Saudi Arabia. The rematch, of course, take place in Saudi Arabia. Uh, They do a lot of business with Eddie Hearn's company where the UK fights are broadcast in the afternoon here in the US. And I think one question I had, Evan, was would we see more uh, major events take place outside of the US and what that would mean for the US market? In other words... When they take a big swing at the global market, does this mean that they're uh, they're less concerned about the U.S. market? Well, the the short answer to that is yes. You're going to see le- you're going to see or you should see more bigger events outside the U.S. market. I would anticipate that. But most of the business of boxing is based in the United States or the U.K. So I, I think. What we've done, what boxing has done in the past as a sport, and some of this is just because of lack of infrastructure, is they just say, oh, well, the biggest market is the United States. So even if the fighter is foreign, let's go build him up in the United States. And I think what DeZone's thinking is, well, there's, you know, let, let's use an example uh, like Manny Pacquiao, for instance. Like, well, there's probably a huge subscriber base who would love to subscribe to DAZN in, you know, Southeast Asia, especially, but, you know, Asia as a whole. And if you do an event out there, you know, you could still time it so that it's prime time in the U.S. market. That creates a lot of earned media, a lot of publicity for DAZN in in those areas and probably increases their worldwide subscriber base, you know, in a way that having a Manny Pacquiao event in the United States may not. Now, that's... uh, I, I don't want to get too specific with the examples, but you know you can already see how this could go. Like if if you do a Canelo event versus a UK fighter in the UK, that's a great way to build your subscriber base there. 
a Japanese fighter in Japan. These are all fights that we've been talking about from May 2nd for Canelo. Those are... Those are great ways to to build your subscriber base, or if you already have a big subscriber base, give you know give that subscriber base a ton of value and reinforce your place you know in the marketplace. Uh, what does it mean for the United States? Well, look, I mean, most of the promotional companies are all based here, anyways, so they're the, they're going to be one doing the business. It's just that you're going to ideally what's more of, of a robust marketplace, especially for the TV. And if if you're a fan of watching it on TV. Some of these events are going to happen earlier in the day. There's no doubt about it, or later in the day, or at weird hours. But uh, and we've already seen some of that on DAZN. But some of these events are also, if it's a big enough event, they'll move it so that it's prime time in the United States, like they've traditionally done. You know, we've done pay per views before from places that aren't based in the United States, and 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 boxing has a tradition of doing this. So I think this isn't brand new, uh, but they're doing it to increase their subscriber base. So I. I don't think a whole lot would change, but you will definitely see some events now come on at different times from from different places. Yeah, and and my understanding, Evan, is that as much as anything, you will see kind of the mandatory challenges that some of their top guys have take place outside of the United States. So using Golovkin as an example, he's got a mandatory challenge uh, coming up up against uh, Zuramedov, who... There isn't a person walking in the U.S. that would be able to pick Zuramedov out of a lineup. Like there, it just doesn't happen. And that's a fight that if they did it in, say, Chicago, they'd spend a lot of money on it because Golovkin costs a lot of money, and probably not gain any new subscribers out of it. It just, it just doesn't work that way. If they decide to put that fight in Kazakhstan. It costs them a lot less money. The Kazakh government would put up a ton of money for it. And, you know, while that would be streamed in the afternoon, I think the thinking is, and I, I tend to agree with it, that you would still you would get as much value from a subscriber perspective as you would by putting it in the United States, given the opponent. So I think you'll see a, a, a ton of mandatories take place outside of the U.S., take advantage of governments and and different locations willing to put up real money just to get you know this top-tier fighter to fight there. Golovkin, of course, from Kazakhstan. Uh, that would be a major event in that country. Uh, certainly a much bigger event than it would be here in Chicago. Um, or, so I, I think that's the kind of stuff that you're more likely to see more of moving forward. I still think, like... Your Canelo Golovkin is not going to Kazakhstan. Like, you're, if, if that fight happens in September, it will be in Las Vegas. No question about it. I think you will still get the top-tier fights that should be in the United States will take place in the United States. Uh, well, the lesser fights, though, people need to get used to the idea of that them taking place in the afternoon. Well, and to, and to be fair... Top Rank has talked about doing this with ESPN just to increase their gates. So uh, this is an idea that makes sense in terms of just the pure boxing business before you even factor in what DAZN is going to gain in a subscriber uh, you know, base. Because you'd have to think, not only does a Golovkin event do a, a, a great gate or a, you know, certainly it delivers an exciting crowd, whether it's a government uh, sponsor gate or, or whether people are actually paying big money for it. But you'd have to think, I mean, depending on how DAZN prices the market of Kazakhstan, that's almost a universal subscribe in the country. I'm sure a huge percentage of the country, if, if that's the only way they can get it, are going to subscribe to DAZN. 
And if you talk about building your subscriber base worldwide, that's that's an incredible way to do it. So I, you know, I look at that as that might make sense even anyway, before you get into the conversation about building the sub base, but that's what DAZN is interested in. I mean, they're really interested in building that worldwide subscriber base. Yeah, and one of the things, too, for U.S. fans that I think you have to take into account is you look back at the A.J. Ruiz fight from December, and that was an afternoon fight in the U.S. uh, up against the SEC championship game, so it had some competition in that time slot. But DAZN was pretty happy with the end result of what they got in terms of subscriptions from that fight, especially happy when you consider that the cost was a fraction of what it would have been had that fight taken place at, say, Madison Square Garden uh, or in Las Vegas. I mean, from my understanding is that A.J. Ruiz cost them like $4 million for the total worldwide rights. Uh, It probably would have cost in excess of $20 million if it had been taking place in the United States. So, you know, you got to look at bang for your buck there. And I think they got pretty good bang for their buck on AJ Ruiz and a select number of fights that are really pricey. And Mikey Garcia, Manny Pacquiao might is probably going to be one of those fights. I mean, there are a lot of layers to that. I mean, Pacquiao's tax tax issues are are part (laughs) of that equation, but you know, if like, if you, if if that's the case, if you have a midsummer late afternoon, Eastern time fight between Pacquiao and Mikey Garcia, that only cost you DAZN a few million dollars and they get their money from the Saudi government. I, I would think, Evan, that that's that's probably a win for oh, the zone. That's definitely you, a win. They, yeah, that's definitely a win. I mean, when you're talking about, I mean, the, the AJ Ruiz fight that was made for less money than God, like some of the some of the fights. You know, I mean, like, look, the Ramirez Hooker fight was a great fight, and I loved it. But I, I think they did, you know, AJ Ruiz two for less than that total. You know, so when you and and if you look at how many, it, it was definitely six figure subscriber gain, uh, which means a lot to DAZN right now in terms of uh, you know their U.S. subscriber base is you know probably in that eight hundred to a million range. So that's a huge percentage increase. I mean, you just especially when you start looking at bigger tech companies and how much it costs to get a new subscriber, especially in the United States. The cost is astronomical right now, uh, and that's the goal. The goal is to scale as quickly as possible. You know, the goal—that's what these uh, streaming companies are trying to do. And and the ability to scale worldwide. I mean, look, this was an issue that you know back when I worked at HBO. I mean, the whole company faced. I mean, we, you know, HBO had traditionally sold all of its series. You know, they basically sold off the foreign rights to each show. And while that looks good on your accounting papers, because it basically brings the net cost down to close to zero in some cases, what Netflix figured out is it's probably better just to build your brand worldwide and have the show cost more, but own the worldwide rights to, to everything. And then that way you just, you put your content out there and you're in a race to get as many subscribers as as quickly as possible. And then all of a sudden, you know, you wake up one day and it's not like Netflix was worth more than HBO is worth more than all of time Warner. Hmm. So you called this a big swing by DAZN, which, you know, certainly implies that if they miss on this big swing, there's a significant downside. Where, where do you see the risk in all this? Well, the, the risk is that it's boxing and they're, you know, I think they're picking boxing because no one's really, organized this well in the past and done this well 
Um, I, you know, and, and I think if it turns out that a lot less people than they think are interested in subscribing to a, a combat sport based uh, company worldwide, you know, it might be tough to show how they're going to increase, you know, their, their total subscriber base. I mean, I know that they're still going to want to make a big play for the U S market no matter what, but you know, this, this could work out really, really well for them. And, and, and I think some of it depends on how they price it and how many events are really going to come to certain parts uh, of the world where, where, where there's a lot of opportunity. I think, look, anytime you're doing something digitally like this, the piracy issues uh, are going to be huge. They're going to have to really police that well, especially in certain markets. So there are, you know, this isn't an automatic home run. You know, traditionally, the boxing market for international has only been robust for really, really big events. But one of the things you like about this is you're selling the whole schedule, not just one event here or one event there. Uh, you're selling the whole schedule worldwide. So they're, they're taking a gamble that that is going to end up making people want to subscribe. And that's going to really add value for people around the world. You know, when I first, uh, first got wind of this deal, one of the, the questions I had, and one of the things I think that could make or break it is, is the ability to kind of become the, the, the broadcaster for boxing in the UK. And that would involve, pushing Sky Sports out of the matchroom uh, boxing business. Now, I, I firmly believe that is the plan uh, for DAZN because of their relationship with Eddie Hearn and their understanding of just how big boxing is in the British landscape. But it, do you look at it the same way? Do you see as, as that being kind of a pivotal moment or a pivotal turning point for DAZN? Can they become the the top boxing broadcaster in the U.K.? I think look, that's the U.K., uh, is by far the the, the biggest. Uh, they need to win that market absolutely, but you're also going to look at how how they're going to do in places like Germany, how in places like Mexico. Uh, there's a lot of other places where you can really see them. You know, we're we're talking about the AJ Ruiz fight adding a couple hundred thousand in the United States, and that's a big deal. One Canelo fight could add millions of subscribers in Mexico if they do it correctly, and and one AJ fight in the UK if they do it correctly can also add millions uh, of subscribers and, and at a, you know, the UK, I'm sure they charge a, a, a premium price. I think, I think it's five pounds or something like that. I, I, I'm not exactly sure about that, but they, you know, they're going to price it market by market. So if the I mean, UK is clearly number one and, and that is going to require, you know, they're going to have to change up the system there. So that's, that's a, that's going to be a battle. There's no question about it. Uh, but there's other markets too. And some of it depends, you know, I, I've talked to this. I've talked about the subject with with the guys at the Zone for a while now, and it's like not every country has the infrastructure needed to do this kind of thing. Um, and and you know, th- there's going to be some countries out there that just don't have great Wi-Fi, and 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 they don't uh, just like literally physical infrastructure issues that could be problematic going forward. But obviously, at a certain point. You just can't you can't enter market by market anymore. You just got you're doing the whole thing, and this is what they did. They're 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 going for the worldwide swing, and and so we'll see. I mean that you know I, I would if I were them, I would be optimistic. Uh, I think they've done it responsibly in terms of wrapping up a lot of these worldwide rights. But you know the going back to you know to the UK, like that's the critical one. There's no doubt about it. There, you know. The, 
boxing is a great business in the United Kingdom. The UK has a ton of great fighters right now, and you can stage events in the UK. In fact, in the US, we've probably been stealing a lot of events from the UK, and, and those guys are waiting to, to no longer have to watch it at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. You know, the, the fact that there's still such a robust pay-per-view market for fights you know, that early in the morning shows how, how crazy, you know, how, how fanatical uh, the, the boxing market is in the UK right now. Yeah, you you mentioned the infrastructure for some countries. Like, how about in this country? Like, I, I go up to Vermont. I have a place up there. And I I can't watch the zone because <laughs> I live I live in a I live in a bunker up there. It's it, my house is, you know, it's not in the middle of nowhere by any stretch. But you got like these the only service you can get are these data uh, these data services data plans. <laughs> you don't have like traditional broadband I, in a lot of places in this country. I. I I went to Williams College. I'm very familiar with uh, the Berkshires and, and Northwestern Mass. You know, I, I used to be able to go on a run and run through Vermont, New York, and Massachusetts in the same run. So uh, I'm very familiar with, with how they do it up in Vermont. Beautiful place. But yes, uh, look, you, you're going to see issues like that on a countrywide basis, basically. And so it's not going to be for everybody right now. But I think there is, you know, th- there are going to be markets that can sustain it, and, and they should sh- see some huge sub- subscriber growth if, you know, if they do it correctly. Uh, it's also, yeah, and that's what you know, the marketing, the marketing costs of doing, you know, they've had issues just getting brand awareness in the United States uh, up and running, and so you have to do this now worldwide. I mean, that's a really, that's a, that's a costly, that's a tough thing. So you're really relying on the events generating earned media rather than having to go and do a paid media plan in every single market. I mean, you know, that's one of the issues too. And this is where Evan, I think Canelo continues to be a pretty good deal for them, despite the fact that he makes as much money as he makes and God knows what they might have to pay him uh, on top of his current contract just to get him in the ring with Golovkin. Cause I think we all know how paramount that is for DAZN's business in the U S but like he does want to fight in Japan Murata is going to be there. That's a mega event in Japan. And, you know, the awareness that Canelo can bring for DAZN in that market is, it's unparalleled. Like, I don't think there's anything else that could bring that type of attention uh, there. And if, if Canelo decides he wants to fight in the UK in 2021 against, like, Callum Smith or somebody that's popular over there at that point, he'd all of a sudden be a driver for subscribers there. I mean, he is, like, currently in the U.S., he is a subscription driving machine. And he can be even more, I think, of a global driving machine if they keep spreading him around the world. When you look back at his deal, I thought at the time, I, before I even asked, before I even found out that they had his worldwide rights, I thought at the time the deal was a steal for the zone. I mean, you look at it and you say, hey, look, that's a lot of money to guarantee. Uh, so it is, I understand why he would take a deal like that because if he does lose, you know, he's still, uh, he's still really well covered. But I think he would have made more money than $35 million a fight just by going through the traditional pay-per-view model in the United States, uh, fight by fight. You know, he, yes, he would have, had he lost a key fight here or there, maybe that would have gone down. But I think he would have done better than $35 million per fight just using that model. And now when you factor in, DAZONE is going to be able to use him to build this, you know, worldwide subscriber base. You know, DAZONE is looking at it from... Uh, an overall company value standpoint. And the, the most important thing they can do for that is double or triple their, their total worldwide subscribers. I mean, 
in a in a perfect world, if they do it correctly, Canelo could do that almost on his own. You know, so he's just so incredibly valuable to them for for what they're trying to do. And and, and you look back at that contract. I I agree with you. I think it, you know they got him for a great price. I got they got him for a great price. You know what else is interesting to me about this too is that one thing that this global expansion is going to require is a degree of patience because. You know, we talk about getting into the UK market. I think it's like 18 months before the rights to the matchroom shows come up from Sky. Uh, I don't know what Canelo's deal is with free TV in Mexico, but I, I assume that's got time uh, left on on its contract. So you've got to kind of wait some of this stuff out, right, before you can jump in and and become the the primary broadcaster in big markets of the fights that that you want to do so you know all the suggestion and, and joe markovsky's been quoted in a lot of places the vice president over at the zone he's been quoted in a lot of places saying like look everybody thinks we're getting out of the boxing business we're not you know we've got four years left on the golden boy deal you know they continue to call eddie hearn's deal an eight-year deal so you know take that for what it's worth uh but it, it does sound like they're gonna have to be patient right to to kind of wait out some of these contracts well that's i think that's what you know i i I don't know the answer to that. My understanding when I talked with them uh, back in, in late 2018 about it was that at that moment they had his they had Canelo's worldwide rights. So whether there were pre-existing deals set up on that, that they're now selling off market by market, and obviously the key one there is going to be whatever deal uh, Canelo had on, on you know with Mexican free television. And I think what that used to be was that they would show the fights on a two-hour delay or, you know, on, on free television. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but I, I, I believe that's what it used to be. Uh, but if you have his worldwide rights, I mean, you can do, I would imagine that you can do whatever you want with that. So that, that could literally be in play in May. Now, maybe there's going to be some kind of transition period or, or maybe some of these deals are pre-existing. but look, they have Canelo for a lot more fights. So wh- whatever that's going to be, uh, they're going to get a chance to exploit it. And, and that's, that's been the plan, you know, so so the fact that this is taking place now, you know, that's what they've been setting up. It shouldn't surprise anybody. I think, you know, in in the boxing world, no one has valued international rights to be that important for a long period of time. So um, that's why they were able to to get these rights. And, and now they're, you know, th- this is the swing. This is to find out, are these really going to be valuable or not? I mean, I, I would lean towards, I, I think they will be valuable. Um, I don't know how valuable each subscriber they're going to acquire is. They may acquire a lot of subscribers who don't pay uh, a premium monthly fee. Uh, but obviously that goes back to, you know, what you were talking about with the UK market. That's why that market's so important. You know, they're already pretty big in Japan. Uh, so Japan, it's more about adding value to your current customer base. But in the UK, you're coming in to take over. So that's, that's you know, that, that's a really important piece. So the bottom line for U.S. fans listening to this podcast is that you will more likely than not get some more afternoon international shows featuring the likes of Golovkin and and others, uh, most likely against some of their lesser tier opponents. But I still think you'll see the biggest fights uh, take place on the U.S. shores. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to 
have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think you could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the Olympics, he's gonna guard. And then on I'm top not of that, like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Anything else about this deal, Evan, that struck you that that you found interesting or you're kind of wondering how it's going to play out? You know, I I do think given the talk about the piracy from the last pay-per-view, I do think how they work, how they deal with piracy issues worldwide is going to be interesting to me because that that's been something traditionally that's been hard to to police, especially, uh, you know, when you're talking about uh, putting out digital content. But, it, you know, if they're able to do it and if they have a plan for it, then great. So I, I'm, I'm very curious as to how they're going to work that part of it. Um, and, and if there's going to be certain markets where uh, they just don't have subscriber growth because of the piracy. But uh, that's, that's my biggest question that comes out. Is it's, it's, it's what countries have the infrastructure to support this uh, right now? And, and are you going to face these kind of piracy issues? And, and, and there, I'm sure, look... This isn't new. This is only new in sports. This isn't new in terms of, of content companies that that stream worldwide. I mean, you know, there's there's plenty of other companies who've been who've been doing this now for a while. So this this is new in sports. That's I think that's one of the important things to understand. I I used to buy bootleg movies on the corner of Fiftieth and Eighth <laughs> in, in New York. I I know piracy uh, extremely well. Uh, is there? But I mean, you were in this side of the business. Like, is there a Look, there was piracy, and I want to get to this with Fury and Wilder. There's piracy involving that fight. I know there was significant piracy with the YouTube fighters, Logan Paul, and then Jake Paul with some of their fights. I mean, is there a solution that's out there? Is or is the is are the people that are pirating all this stuff? Are they just much smarter and able to get around things faster than the companies that want to catch them? 
Well, there's there's long been a theory, and I think especially with you know if you're talking about pay per view. Uh, especially at, at pay-per-view prices, there's long been a theory that most of the people that pirate uh, a pay-per-view fight were never planning on buying it anyways. So you you want to shut it down, especially just to, to sort of be able to police that because you don't want people who are willing to pay for your intellectual property to then... And, and I, I take a very strong viewpoint on this. I think, look, this is intellectual property. You should be purchasing it. And, you know, it, it's... Not only is it illegal, I think it's like immoral, basically, to to watch something. But you know, to pirate something that you know you're taking money out of the fighters' pockets, basically. But I understand. Look, you're never going to be able to fully police it, uh, and at pay per view prices, I do think there's not a ton of people who are 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 out there who are going to watch it, who were ready to pay for it. I mean, if you're watching it at home or you're doing a party or something like that, a, a pirated stream isn't reliable. So, you know, there, there's a certain part where that kind of, that thing kind of ends. But one of the things digital, digital makes piracy a lot easier. And so you do question it, you know, especially with some of the YouTube stuff, you know, does own really, and that's why when, when I've talked about this in the past, and I think we've talked about this as well, you, this can't be a one-off thing because if this is a one-off thing, for YouTube fights, then it's easy to pirate because no one thinks, oh, I have, I'm a fan of these kind of YouTube fights. I need to subscribe to DAZN. They just think, oh, I want to watch this. This is how I can watch this. But if they understand, oh, I'm gonna, you know, there's going to be four or five of these a year or whatever, then they think to themselves, okay, so I'm, I'll subscribe to DAZN. This is worth it. Uh, I'll do it. I'll have a solid... You know, I want the the build up program. You know, the shoulder programming and the build up. I want you know, I want to make sure the stream works the whole time. So that theoretically is part of it. But no, I mean, other than I think the UFC has done a really good job of staying on top of some of the piracy issues. But you got to remain vigilant. I mean, there's no easy solution out there for it. Yeah, I think piracy sucks. I also think that I agree with you that people that are are looking at a pirated stream we're never going to buy something to begin with i mean i what was that video that was out there on youtube of people watching a fight through the reflection of somebody's sunglasses did you see that <laughs> at the time it was i saw it on on some stream somewhere like uh, you know the fuckers that are watching that are not buying anything they're just not like if you're if you're willing to get a if you if you think you're getting a, a quality experience watching a fight through the reflection on somebody's sunglasses, I, I gotta first of all get a life. Second, yeah. uh, you you were never gonna be in that that uh, that buying mix. So you know you you do want to see them be vigilant, like you said, crack down and all that. But uh, with the understanding that I would say ninety percent of the people that are trying to pirate this stuff were probably never gonna do it uh, to begin with. So you know we'll see. They're gonna have to be creative with all this because you know you do want to direct as many people to subscribe as humanly possible. Um, all right, let's turn for a second, Evan, to uh, to the Fury Wilder stuff. And the numbers start to trickle out last week, and I think we have a pretty clear idea of, of how that fight performed. Around eight hundred to 850000 give or take, either way, uh, for the, were the final numbers for the pay-per-view. The digital numbers, especially on ESPN+, Plus, from what I was told, they overperformed. Uh, the numbers on the in-demand and the cable company operators, they underperformed, and that's what led to that number. That number, at least from what I was told by people involved with the fight, they they wanted to hit like a million, a million one, and that would be kind of their break-even number. Uh, the 850, if you want to top it out at that, comes in below that. 
Uh, you know this stuff better than I do, Evan. Your reaction to to all those numbers and and what it means? Well, I think it it's hard to come up with a break even number before you actually uh, look at what kind of buys you're talking about because. A digital buy is worth a lot more than a cable buy in a lot of instances, but it really depends because each cable system is going to have a different buy, uh, a different percentage split based on how much they're supporting the event. So some cable systems might, you know, and this goes for satellite too, they might do a lot of things in support of the event and the split is, you know, not as favorable for the fight, but they're actually doing a lot to uh, advertise and, and, and market the event. Some cable companies might do almost nothing to do it, and their split is going to end up being much closer to what the digital uh, split is going to be. So it, it's really tough to know what that break-even number is you know, ahead of time. You can, you can do estimates. From my understanding was that it you – know, and, and it also – the other thing to take into account is are Fox and ESPN charging the on-air – marketing that they're doing for the fight like you know are they charging it against the promotion which I, I don't think they are uh so the super bowl ad well that's that's great but is fox looking at that as we could have sold this for three million bucks or was this always going to go to promote some kind of fox show anyways and let's give it to the pay-per-view where Hopefully that publicizes it to the point where we can make more money back. So a lot, whether it made money or not really comes, and I guess the, the biggest factor is who's guaranteeing the fighter purses. Is it the promotion? Uh, is it each promotional company or is it the network? You're really starting to get into accountant land on that. And, and I don't want to put your viewers to sleep uh, going through a lot of that. But I do think, you know, eight to eight fifty is probably a little bit below what they were hoping for. Based on how the digital performance was, I think you can definitely make a case that everybody's going to walk away relatively happy, maybe wishing it could have been a little bit higher. I know the million mark just sounds a lot cleaner. And I think the big takeaway is you want that you want ESPN and Fox to to do what they did last time. I mean, they they really did a great job on their, you know, on Fox and ESPN of promoting this fight. And and that's that shouldn't be lost in the shuffle here. I mean, there was a huge commitment from both networks to do that. And that's a positive thing for the sport. You don't want them to come away feeling, ah, we should have done better. We don't want to do a push like that again. Like that, that really was important for both heavyweights. I mean, these are not, I know boxing fans view these guys at stars in the United States. Wilder and Fury were not household names. You know, they, they really weren't anytime where you do a pay-per-view where there's 325,000 buys in the first fight. Those aren't household names. Getting, yeah, hopefully they are now, but you know they weren't. Well, this this is something I've I've told people that have said, "Oh man, only did eight hundred fifty thousand buys. That's disappointing." Um, this was a great fight, and uh, on paper for the boxing diehards, they they had to love it. I mean, a, a, a meaningful heavyweight fight. But and you know this well from HBO. Like one of the things that made. Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao and some of the even Miguel Cotto like you know around the million plus you know pay-per-view buy guys was because they had a, a depth of a body of work like they had spent years you know becoming those types of stars 
by fighting some of the best, by fighting, you know, whether it's Ricky Hatton for both Mayweather and Pacquiao or Miguel Cotto for Pacquiao and Antonio Margarito and, and Mayweather, even before he fought De La Hoya, was building a brand for himself, fighting Diego Corrales and Arturo Gatti and becoming these types of names. You go to like middle America and, and non-traditional boxing areas, they don't know who Deontay Wilder is. Like, it, they just don't. Like, they, there haven't been enough high-profile fights that he's been in to kind of develop that following. I think that's what, what, what I take away from most of this. I mean, I think it's a solid number. I mean, I, I personally don't... Well, I, we'll discuss this in a second, my feelings on pay-per-view, but the, the you know, I, I, I don't care what, what, how much money somebody made. I watched the fight. I liked the fight. I wish there are more of those types of fights. But the reason these things don't zoom past a million buys or go near the two million that Bob Arum was projecting is because they these guys haven't fought anybody and and they haven't they don't have the depth of opponents I don't think right well they don't have the depth of opponents that Pacquiao and Mayweather and Cotto and even Canelo uh, has had during their their peak pay per view days. Well, and that, and that's you're right about that. And that's what what people forget here is that. You know, Floyd broke out by, you know, Floyd was already fighting pay-per-view before he fought Oscar, but he broke out fighting Oscar. And that depth of opponents, you know, for the boxing hardcore fan base, the heavyweights were like, we're just so happy that it's back. And that we're so happy that over the last three or four years, we've started to see some real heavyweight fights. But we forget that in terms of the even casual boxing fans, much less general sports fans this fight was their introduction to the heavyweight you know division basically or their reintroduction you know going back i mean the last heavyweight fight but it was the early 2000s probably a tyson fight in the early 2000s and this was kind of their reintroduction to oh this matters whereas you know the the hardcore boxing fan base knows that you know klitschko may not have you know, given us a lot of exciting moments, but Klitschko Joshua was a great fight. It just happened in the United Kingdom. Like a, a ton of Klitschko fights happened in Germany. You know, Deontay Wilder, great American heavyweight. We're seeing historic power, and but he hadn't. He never had Tyson Fury is his first real opponent that's even mainstream worthy. So don't we shouldn't let that get lost. I mean, hopefully this is the launching pad for both guys. I mean, you know, inside the boxing world, they're thinking, oh wow, like. Deontay Wilder might be done after this, and this is no. I mean, this should be his launching pad. He lost to a great fighter, and he has every opportunity to to win the rematch because he has historic power in his right hand. And they drew in the first fight. He knocked down Tyson Fury twice. You know, yes, Tyson Fury had a great strategy in the rematch, but and and that's what. If there's any regret, it's that the fight ended up so one sided. But if you're a hardcore boxing fan, you always knew that was a possibility. But that's. You know, going back to the original point, that's what gets lost on certain people. This, to most casual boxing fans and general sports fans, this was the introduction of the heavyweight division to them. Yeah, and you know, it it, it a lot of people are not going to pay eighty something dollars for that introduction. Like it's just <laughs> no, it's, it, just, well, it's just a fact. And and a lot of them didn't. I mean, I think the you can point to so many things in in this uh, event where you know. They they did a really robust uh, bar business and that kind of thing, and that's because a lot of casual fans were like, "Oh, this is something I want to check out because I've heard about it and 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 I know it's going to be significant." But they looked at the eighty dollars and oh, I'm not going to buy it at home to watch alone. Whereas you know a lot of hardcore boxing fans have no you know it's just built into the system. They have no problem doing that. 
Does this and look, you you and I have talked about pay per view, and my my feelings on pay per view are clear. I I hope it dies a slow and painful <laughs> death, and everybody that's involved loses money over it, so they don't ever want to do it again. Because I just don't think boxing can grow with, with you know, the best fights or the best moments consistently being put on pay. Even not even the best, like B level fights consistently being put on pay-per-view. I don't think that's a great long-term strategy. Does, does the outcome of a fight like this, and we know it's not going to affect the rematch, but does the outcome of a fight like this, does it move the needle at all towards networks and, and, and network executives starting to think, maybe we can find a way to put this on lineal TV? Like, again, the rematch will be on pay-per-view. We get that. But down the line, like... Don't we want these executives to start thinking about how, look, we got a fire hose with Fox, we got a fire hose with ESPN. Can we not find a way to make it financially viable to have these types of big events on network TV? Is that just impossible at this point, Devin? Or is or are people just lazy? Like I, I do think at some point we got lazy in boxing and decided to just, you know, bleed the hardcore fan base as hard as we possibly could. Uh, is there an avenue to to make boxing big time boxing viable on on ESPN or Fox or network TV or, or are we just or is that just impossible at this point? Uh, impossible. I never want to go the impossible route, but it's it, that'd be really tough sailing. I think I think what we can do is get to the point where incrementally you start to be able to put bigger events on network television. And be able to see the gains in viewership uh, cover up for whatever, whatever you miss on pay-per-view. And I, and I think that would be a great thing for the sport. But there comes a point, I would say it's somewhere, and, and hopefully this is a sliding scale that heads more towards 500,000 buys. But right now it's in that 250 to 300 range. You hope it moves, it gradually moves up to about 500,000 where pay-per-view is just worth way too much money to the fighters and uh, you know, boxing needs to prove that it can get better viewership on uh, Fox and ESPN or else it, they won't get there, you know. And so maybe it starts by taking a questionable pay-per-view and uh, putting it onto, you know, network TV and, and trying to get a great number on Fox or ESPN. Uh, maybe there's a way where you can start taking – I mean, this is where I thought – that places like DAZN and ESPN Plus uh, would come in and sort of take those sort of 250, 300,000 pay-per-view buys and and, and put them uh, on digital. And that's not really happened yet. Uh, but, you know, it, the simple economics of pay-per-view is that at a certain point, uh, it's just worth more money to the fighters. And this isn't – the fighters don't care about the sport of boxing as a whole. They want to get paid as much as possible. So the risk is going to have to be on the networks. And right now, boxing isn't getting enough viewership uh, on their regularly scheduled program to justify uh, the higher salaries and the risk on the network side. And and you hope that incremental gains can get made, but that's not the pathway right now. Yeah, look, I, I get it that if you are a half a million buy or more fighter that it should be on pay-per-view. I mean, UFC does it, of course, and they have tremendous success with their top guys. But uh, to your point about the lesser-tier ones, I mean, I, I was in Ontario for Charlo versus Harrison, the rematch, and afterwards, Jamel Charlo suggests the third fight should be on pay-per-view, and I'm kind of scratching my head going, like, there was like a... 
there was nobody there, first of all, at that fight. It was in Ontario, of all places. And who want, who who would buy that on pay-per-view? Who would spend $75 for that? Like, those types of fights, I just want to keep them as far as humanly possible away from pay-per-view and as close to, you know, whether it's... I'd love to see it on Fox or ESPN, but certainly FS1 or, or, or the, the cable networks. You've just got to find a way to, to do that. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. On, on top of the 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 numbers that Wilder Fury did, I want to ask you about the the third fight between these guys. I guess tentatively we're, we're talking July 18th. That was the contract date. And after suggesting for a little while that that fight could be moved off that date, Bob Arum has said, no, it's going to be on that date. They're going to, you know, everybody wants it on that date. Who knows if that's true or not, but that's when... They're going to try to have it. Uh, yeah. What does a fight like that do? I mean, we just saw Tyson Fury you know, completely dismantle Deontay Wilder. And I'm not ready to rule Wilder out by any stretch because when you have that kind of power, uh, you're always in it. And Tyson Fury, as we've seen in the past, when he when he gets what he wants, sometimes he doesn't he lets it slide a little bit and maybe isn't as committed to the sport as he as he would have been. So I don't I don't rule Wilder out winning that rematch, but I do wonder what the interest is is going to be in that rematch. On top of that, you're going to have a, a summer month where you guys you have baseball if you're ESPN and Fox that you're putting games on there, but you certainly don't have uh, 
a a outlet like the Super Bowl or NBA playoffs or things like that. I mean, what do you make of of what that fight could do financially the third time around? So I think I think if they activate the cable systems in a way that they didn't really do for the second fight, I actually think they could make up a lot of buys there uh, for the third fight. Uh, on that end. So uh, th- that's the good news that I think there are, you know, they, there are buys uh, that they can get, you know, that they didn't get for the second one that they can get for the third one from the cable system if they do a better job there. But what it's really going to take is a really well thought out uh, sale of the fight in terms of why people need to see a third fight. And th- this is something that historically HBO and Showtime have done really, really well with their shoulder programming. I mean, the, you know, the, the pay cablers have a deep institutional knowledge of the sport and, and what motivates not only the fighters, but what motivates the core and the casual fan base. And if they do a great job on that front, then I, I think they can get close to what they did last time, you know, close to that 8850 number. But, you know, you, you have to think most of the casual fans who saw this for the first time didn't understand that, especially in the first two rounds, Deontay Wilder's power was such that he could have ended the fight. You know, it could have easily ended the other way. And uh, ESPN and Fox both need to do a, a really good job selling, you know, that Deontay Wilder has, you know, is back mentally and can land that right hand at any moment. And that, you you know, that's that sort of fear of missing out or, or, or that tense ability to you know that, that Deontay Wilder has to you know he, he could just come off and lose five or six rounds like he did against Luis Ortiz in the rematch and then all of a sudden boom he lands his one shot and, and it can be over and they need to be able to, to to bake that into the shoulder programming and you know all the great stuff that they did for the second fight with, by sort of activating their entire you know afternoon programming and and and, and all the the other shows that they have. And some of that is tough because a lot of these, a lot of those personalities don't know boxing that well. So you're going to be really reliant on the people that do to, to push that narrative. And, and that's what'll convince fans to buy the third fight. Are you surprised that Wilder exercised that rematch? I mean, it, look, he's going to make a ton of money, even if the split does change for the third fight. Uh, he obviously still believes in himself based on some of the videos we've seen in the interviews that he's done, but it really is Evan, like a, I want to say like a, a less than five month turnaround or right around five months, uh, the turnaround, uh, to come back from a loss like that. I mean, what do you think of the decision that Wilder made to, to come back and take that third fight? Well, if I, if I'm putting my manager hat on for, for something like that, uh, it, it's still, it's, I don't know what the the minimum guarantee would be for the third fighter if they even work that out. I, n- I know they said 60-40 split, but there's still going to be a minimum paid to each fighter. Whatever you're going to make in another fight isn't going to come close to the guarantee for that third fight, I'm sure. So if you're just looking at it from a purely financial standpoint, I, I'm not surprised at all that uh, he and his team took the fight. I also think just from a confidence standpoint, you know, Deontay Wilder for himself probably needs to to get in there and and see if he can knock Tyson Fury down again and eventually knock him out. Uh, that, you know, to, to regain his confidence, I can see why he'd want to get right back in there. If you're taking a very long-term view at this, especially if you, if you put your manager head on what is best for Deontay Wilder's career long-term, 
I don't know that I would have gone right back into it. Uh, just, you know, maybe taken another fight or two to, to build his confidence back up. I mean, you can make a good case for that. The question is, are, what, it, what then are you going to make for the third fight? You know, if, if, if you're going to make 25 or $30 million for the third fight right now, and if you don't agree to it contractually and you're going to come back in after, you know, after you take another uh, easier fight or two, what's that guarantee going to be? If it's only going to be 10 or 15 million bucks, then no, you want to take that, that third fight right now and, and maximize the revenue you can make from it. And, you know, like I said, I mean, I think most, you know, there's a reason that Deontay Wilder was the slight favorite at, at the uh, sports books and that most of the money coming in was actually on Deontay Wilder. You know, a lot of people have a lot of confidence in his right hand and his sort of strategic ability throughout the fight to set it up. And even if he's losing rounds, not have the, that bother him at all and, and eventually land it and do it. And, you know, you can look at the A.J. Ruiz first fight. I mean, A.J. took a equilibrium shot and he came back and, and, you know, won the rematch. And there's every reason to believe that uh, Deontay Wilder took an equilibrium shot. And even if... If he, you know, if he's prepared for this strategy, this new strategy from Tyson Fury, uh, next time he can come back and even if he's getting outboxed, you know, have his wits about him in an eighth or ninth round, just like in the first fight, look for a knockdown and hopefully for Deontay Wilder this time it's a knockout. Yeah, and look, you know, one of the things that I found interesting was, you know, right off the bat, as I said, Bob Arum said, oh, well, look, we will move the fight to September, October to give it some time to breathe if, if that's what they want. Then Aram comes back and says, no, the networks want it in mid-July. The MGM Graham wants it in mid-July. By the way, shout out to everyone I'm going to see at Summer League asking me for tickets in mid-July. <laughs> I'll, I'll enjoy telling you I have no access to any of them, just to be clear on that right off the bat. Uh, but I, I wondered, like, the conspiracy theory side of me, Evan, is like, do you think that, like, Eddie Hearns in Bob Aram's ear saying, you know, look, make this deal, force them to fight in July, and you know if you win that fight, and look, Eddie said he wants to do the fight with Joshua versus Fury in December. Eddie says that a deal between Joshua and Fury is incredibly makeable, and, and Aram seems to be taking the same type of position. Uh, do you think there's something to that, like where they want to force Wilder back in the ring as soon as humanly possible so they can potentially dispatch him before he's ready and, and, and move on to other things? I think, look... That might be a side benefit, but I actually think these networks like having these boxing events in dead, uh, otherwise dead periods of time. I mean, one of the underlooked uh, elements to this, so we traditionally, you know, old model for boxing pay-per-view is Cinco de Mayo and Mexican Independence Day. You know, you're doing a big fight, big pay-per-view event, and there's a lot of benefits to that. I mean, people kind of have it in their minds. It's it, your, your biggest uh, pay-per-view buying audience is the Hispanic fan base and, and, and you're catering right towards that fan base, but there's negatives too. And the negatives are that look, Cinco de Mayo weekend is always going to be like first round NBA playoff game, six or seven. There's a Kentucky Derby that day, NHL. If, I think the NHL playoffs will have started by then as well. Baseball's early in the season. There's a lot going on. And, you know, Mexican Independence Day weekend is usually the week two of the NFL season. So these aren't exact. And, and, you know, college football hasn't totally picked up at that point. But you're competing against a lot of other big events. And the great thing you saw about this event is this was after NBA All-Star Week. 
this was kind of a dead week. And so it's great from a content standpoint for Fox and, and ESPN because they can just have their programs who usually have nothing to talk about. They can just talk about this all week, and it's a natural buildup. They don't have to split time between this and football or this and something else. Uh, and you saw that actually when, when Mayweather fought Conor McGregor, they did it in sort of the dregs of August. And it was kind of the same thing. They had like two or three weeks of just that's all anybody talked about because there was nothing else to talk about. And I think in July, that falls into that same category where it's kind of a dead week for places like ESPN and Fox. So they have a lot of benefit of, of doing it then. And that it, it makes it easier to promote the fight using their programs on FS1 and ESPN and ESPN2. And it just, it just feeds the content beast that they, that they have. And, and they need big event content like that. And, and, and that feeds that beast. So I think whatever conspiracy theories you have about Fury, first of all, Fury's got to win the second fight. And second of all, then you still have to make that deal which is going to be tough to make. I mean, you know, I know when the money gets that big, usually people figure it out, but it's still a tough deal to make. I, you know, I think that's why ESPN and Fox want it for a week like that in, in July. So whatever side benefit you're going to get from, you know, from a, a Fury, AJ potential fight, that that's not the main driver. I think the main driver is, is you're doing what the networks want. Yeah, maybe I've been hanging around Eddie. A little bit too much. <laughs> and, uh, he, he he does like to whisper these types of theories into my. And look, it, th- how it's working out is exactly how Eddie Hearn wants it to work out. Um, all he needs is for Fury to win that third fight because he's going to have Joshua Pulev, and like I, I just don't see Joshua having too much of a problem with Kubrat Pulev at this stage of Pulev's career. Uh, but you know, if that happens, the timing will line up for a December fight between those two guys and wherever that takes place that'll be just a a monster monster showdown uh between two of the biggest men and biggest stars in all of boxing by the way before i let you go uh you know we we you mentioned a couple of times that we talked a little about DAZN's schedule one of the things i think has worked out great for DAZN in the last like two months has been the results of some of their fights have not only been like good fights like ryan garcia big knockout over fonseca and 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 you had the fights this past week with Mikey Garcia getting a win, but it all it all sets up for uh, you know bigger fights down the road. Like Garcia wins on the same card as Linares, and you have a summer fight. Now that may not be a mega fight or a major kind of pay per view level fight, but it's a high level boxing show when you put those two on there. Uh, this past weekend, I mean Mikey Garcia wins, and you may get that fight with Mikey in Saudi Arabia, but at least you have a chance of of getting that fight uh, in Saudi Arabia. Hell, Chocolatito, him beating Cal Yafai. I mean, you know, Chocolatito was a headliner on HBO. You now can have Chocolatito headlining a show against Estrada. He could ha- he could fight Sorungbasai for the third time, try to avenge that loss. I feel like the last month plus, even though DAZN doesn't have those big fights on the schedule, it's been really good for them because they are going to have good fights on the schedule and, and not kind of one-sided crap, which is sometimes they've had to deal with. Yeah, the they've. I think the one-sided crap is okay when it sets up a bigger event. And I think one of the things DAZN has realized, I'm sure, is... It's it the big events are really not only what drives your subscribers, but it what it's what keeps the hardcore fan base happy. You know, n- no one's happy just seeing Ryan Garcia have a couple first round knockouts, as long as we know that there's going to be the promise of a bigger fight. And 
I don't know when he would fight Devin Haney. I mean, they were obviously in the ring together. But and look, the Linares fight, if you're a hardcore boxing fan, you're really excited about that. So so seeing that happen, that's a, that's a great way to do it. I mean, that's kind of out of that, you know, HBO used to do a, a great job with that. And Showtime, too, quite frankly. Uh, sort of that traditional pay cabler model of, of having guys ready to fight each other and kind of teasing out with your programming, teasing out what's going to come next and building. And, and I think what's key for DAZN is to have just every month or two, you know, have a really significant event and then have those two or three times a year where you have the true mega, you know, pay-per-view level, you know, big time boxing events. That's what's going to drive their subscriber base. I don't think, I think they've realized at this point that the week in, week out boxing, even when you put on good, solid fights, it, that doesn't matter as much in terms of driving the subscriber base. And and certainly having Demetrius Andre uh, win 12 rounds to zero uh, doesn't, doesn't do it either. Not, not to pick on him because uh, I like watching him fight, but you know, it, it's, Eventually figuring out the big matchup for him, not just having him go in and, and, and fight some guy that, that even a hardcore fan like me has never even heard of. And then you're like, okay, well, that was great, but let's see him in with somebody really good. Like that, That's what you want to watch is setting up those big events. Yeah, a little inside boxing for people. There was rumors that Jamal Charlo was going to be at the fight in Dallas this past weekend, the Mikey Garcia fight. And if he was, Evan, I was going to interview him, and every word out of my mouth would have been Demetrius Andrew. You, you are the number every, one cheerleader for that. It's, I, I would you have are. just said, I would have said, Jamal, uh, you're looking sharp today. Have you seen Demetrius Andre? Uh, Jamal, uh, good performance back in December against Dennis Hogan. Have you talked to Demetrius Andre? That would have been the extent. It would have been one of the weirder interviews anyone's ever done. Well, and this is, and I would have just. But this is something. This is something that boxing as a whole is starting. I, th- I think you're actually seeing it. You know. You're seeing it a lot more across all networks. They've started to realize that, oh, if we put on, you know, even if we put on a good fighter against a nobody, it's not necessarily going to draw a big rating. And we need to collaborate together to make some of these bigger events happen. And I think, like, you know, that's the exciting thing. Like, you started to see a little bit more of that. And, you know, we're just at the point there's so much boxing content out there in this day and age to truly break through you need the bigger fights. That's those are what's valued. Like I think we're seeing less and less right now than we were a year ago of guys making a ton of money to fight, you know, a fight where it's A side versus B side and they know they'd win. I mean, now the networks have kind of gotten the message that in in order for them to really break through, they need to make some of these bigger fights. And whether whether you're in the subscriber business or the viewership business, like it, or the pay-per-view business, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Like it's you you need to either work together or within your own stable, start putting these guys in tough and making bigger fights. That's what's going to break through. I like this. Even on a business of boxing podcast, I can still mention Demetrius Andrade versus Jamal Charles. <laughs> that is an, an accomplishment even, uh, even for me. Uh, Evan, always appreciate it, man. Always learn something when I talk to you. Uh, thanks for joining me. People out there listening, uh, follow Evan on Twitter at Ficionados Pod and free to, uh, follow his podcast as well, which comes out every couple of weeks. It's a terrific job of uh, breaking down all the business news in boxing. Evan, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks a lot.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.